This is 8-Bit, episode 88, Trust Our Opinions, on Sunday, September 28, 2014. And now, so bad, it's so good. This episode is hosted by Ian Buck and Ian Decker. So what is the worst movie that you have ever seen in your life? Oh boy, let's see, there... There was this one movie that I went and saw with my family and and Hugo, our, our foreign exchange student that we were hosting at the time, where it was about this guy that was a compulsive liar. And it, it starred Matt Damon, and you thought it'd be good. And I mean, he did a fine job acting, but the movie was so boring. Man, that sounds like a winning combination. So convoluted that I nearly just fell asleep in the middle of the theater. <laughs> um, kind of like you just that... fell asleep at that Stephen Curtis Chapman concert. I don't know what the hell was going on with me there. That I, I did not mean to do that. that. <laughs> I can't believe I did that either. All right, so what about uh, the Star Wars Holiday Special? Oh, that one ranks pretty bad up there on bad movies. Cause it's, I, I, I think it's pretty high up there, like on the same level as Idiocracy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Idiocracy was just, it, it wasn't necessarily that it was a bad movie, it's just Everyone was in the movie was so stupid, which is the point of the movie that, was that the it was painful. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So Star Wars Holiday Specials definitely still the be- worst movie that I've ever seen. But I watched another one this week that it takes a pretty close second now. Sharknado. I'm sure you've heard of it. Oh yeah. Yes. The epitome of sci-fi original movies, right there. Um, <laughs> real. Quick and dirty review of the movie. As long as you know what you're getting into, it's great. As long as you're watching it, like, on a Friday evening with a bunch of other people who know what they're getting into, it's great. In all other cases, I can't imagine (laughs) wanting to watch this movie (laughs) or enjoying it. But if you're if you're in the right mindset, if you're in the right attitude, you you'll get a good you'll get a kick out of it. Just give me a couple few rum and cokes beforehand, and mm-hmm. I'll be great. Our our group even came up with a new phrase like if if anything unexplained or you know crazy happens, just because Sharknado. <laughs> it's because Sharknado. Actually, one of the things that I that I appreciated about the movie more than like most other shark movies that I've ever seen is they didn't have any like bullshit scientists trying to explain the phenomenon that was going on. It was just from the perspective of normal people going, holy crap, there are sharks falling out of the sky and coming out of the sewers, and like, you know, no explanation. They just had to try to survive. Coming out of the sewers? Yeah, cause, so there's like a giant, you know, storm coming, a big hurricane, biggest one that California had ever seen, and they, it was driving like there were a bunch of sharks in the area because they were you know trying to get away from the storm or something and then lo and behold like the the images that you always see from the trailers and stuff is sharks flying around in the you know in a tornado but yeah. leading up to that you get sharks coming in with the sur- you know with the flood uh sharks you know coming in, so so there's sharks swimming around in the streets while people are trying to drive away from this flood and everything then then when they get to higher ground they start to resort to sharks like bursting out of manholes <laughs> to ambush people essentially you know <laughs> nature's perfect hunter right there and it's it's clear that like none of these sharks know what's going on either but they seem hellbent whenever they come flying out of nowhere they're just like i'm going to bite the first 
living thing that that comes near me. Like I'm going to attack it for no reason. <laughs> the sharks aren't trying to like get back into the water. They're trying to just kill. <laughs> so dumb. I remember. I think it was, I don't remember if it was from the first one or the second one, but there was a guy standing on top of like a car or a bus or something like that, and then he gets eaten by a shark that's flying. Yeah. Uh, so many people died. I don't even remember. <laughs> it sounds so bad. I'm sorry, yeah, but it sounds so bad. It was bad enough that they decided to make a second one just for kicks, I'm sure. Totally. Well, it, it's one of those things that has a cult following. Yeah, and it, unlike a lot of cult followings, it didn't take 15 years to accumulate the cult following. You know, that happened immediately. <laughs> yep, because it was the worst movie a lot of people had ever seen. And suddenly, because it's so bad, it's so good. Those people, they they need to discover the Star Wars Holiday Special for real. <laughs> uh, so we got some listener feedback uh, from last week's episode. Andrew Bailey, who is always present, of course, he, he clarified the ending of Mass Effect 3 for us, which we were confused about. Apparently, uh, the the green option, the you know combining uh, technological entities and organic entities, that option shows up if you have a high enough galactic readiness, like there's a certain threshold that you have to get over. And yeah. apparently, for for like most people, they'll probably only see that if they've played some of the multiplayer and gotten enough of, you know, the percentage. But if you're a hardcore, like, what do you call it, completionist, where you've done like all of the side quests and everything, you probably have enough to get that you, to be able to choose that ending, because I nope. I think I did like every single one, and I had that ending. Well, I know that I did. I thought I did every single one as well, but I just hadn't done the multiplayer. Maybe oh, where's there? Maybe there were some DLCs that I had that you didn't or something. Well, that's true too, but I I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily the case, because I think it just has to be. I think there's just not enough unless you do the multiplayer in the single player campaign itself. Right, but what I'm saying is maybe the DLCs had other stuff that gave you more galactic readiness. You know, maybe. that you couldn't get in the base game. I don't know. But also, also apparently, if you messed up enough and had a low enough galactic readiness, the endings would be more drastic. Like, more things would explode and more people would die <laughs> if, if you just messed up badly enough. So if you did Chad Shepard. Sure. I, oh, man, I still haven't done that. I'm going to have to soon. You're probably not going to be able to survive Mass Effect 2, to be completely honest. I already finished it. You did? Yeah. No, and actually, I remember us having this conversation before, <laughs> earlier mm. on the show. And I remember it very, very vividly because I listened to that episode this week. <laughs> I listened to a lot of our episodes this week, but we'll get to that later. Uh, I could never stand sitting and listening to myself talk. Well, that's why I spit it up, you know. By like so that it didn't sound like you? No, so that I could get through more of them and not have to listen to them as long. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, so Sonia also told me, as soon as she listened to it, she was like, that was an interesting episode. And I was like, okay, is, is that like a Minnesota interesting, you know, where, where you only call things interesting that you don't like, but you don't want to offend anybody? So I immediately asked her if she liked the episode, and she said, yeah, yeah, it was good. So I, I, I guess we did something right. Supposedly. But again, we, we sort of have our own cult following with it, with this podcast. Yeah. I don't know. Butts and nads. They work. Butts and nads. They're good. Butts and nads. Should we again. try that again this episode? No. Let's just try to not use filler words in general. That sounds like a much, much better approach. Much more professional. But I, but I, but I like my butts and nads. 
Speaking of professionalism, you want to know what podcast was not professional this week? Huh. The Verge cast. They, so there was another guy in the office who was piloting a robot around, and this robot is basically an iPad on top of a Segway. And he was controlling it some, from somewhere else, and then his face was displayed, you know, on the iPad. And he kept trolling the people who were trying to record their podcast by, like, bumping the the iPad into the window repeatedly. And then somebody opened the door so that he could come in, and he starts, like, rolling around. And they're, like, just, they can't do anything but laugh about it. And they had... <laughs> You know, they, they live stream their videos on that show, but they also, of course, have the podcast version, which I, th- I think more people listen to their podcast than people watch the live stream. And so they're like, this is the worst radio of all time. Like, we're, we're just failing so hard. And I, of course, I listened to that, that episode while I was out on a long walk, and I was like, oh, man, when I get back, I'm definitely going to have to actually watch the video version of this. <laughs> Was it just as crazy in the video version, or have you not had a chance to... Oh, yeah, I, I watched it. It was... I mean, basically, it was exactly what I was imagining. <laughs> not very exciting, but hilarious if you're there, apparently. I would have been laughing my ass off. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. But, I mean, it's it's not the same if you're just watching a video of it after the fact. Yeah. No. There, it was pretty good, though, when the Segway managed to fall over. <laughs> that was pretty good. How does one do that? I there was like a bunch of you know cables on the ground because they you know they had the the cameras set up and microphones and whatnot and mm. um I don't know maybe somebody pushed it who knows <laughs> uh, yeah so let's let's talk about some video game thingies um, listeners if you would like to see our show notes these lovely headlines that we are about to talk about go to the slash eb88 that is this episode's site. And that's just EB88, not 8EB88. Yeah, yeah. EB88 <laughs> and 88 for the 88th episode. Of 8-Bit. And the, ne- the Nexus.TV for the name of the network. Well, you had accidentally said 8EB88. Yeah, yeah. I know. I understand. So, is However, that... so, so is this, this is 88 of 8-Bit. Yeah. It, so I get it depends on if you're in Europe or not. You know, you can call it EB88 or the 88th EB, right? I'm thinking about like months and days, you know, September 18th versus the 18th of September okay. kind of thing, you know. Yep. So it's Assassin's Creed Unity. Either way, we should have a little celebration considering this is 888. 888? 88 of 8-bit. Sure. Oh, right, because uh, 8, right, yeah. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. I'm so slow. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Bob. I don't even think of it as 8-bit anymore. I just think of it as EB. I've always thought of it as 8-bit, but... What should we do in celebration, then? <sighs> this is this is great. No planning celebrations. I know, right? I know what we'll do. And I'll have a distinct advantage this time. Oh, great. We can see who is the Alpha Ian once again, following oh. this. <laughs> I was thinking maybe have uh, a listener, like, competition? Mm. That could be fun. What are you thinking? I I have no idea. I mean, I'm thinking back to the days when uh, at the Nexus had a Steve Jobs lookalike contest, and I won because I was the only person who submitted the picture. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you'll uh, we'll have to f- think of something else later. Let's get mm-hmm. to the headlines. Yeah, because I want to talk about those. So Assassin's Creed Unity. They've detailed a bit more of their season pass, which is good because those are pretty popular and uh, 
Ubisoft likes them because they make lots of money off of them. So they they have actually more than just the usual extra missions and extra weapons and stuff for the game. It also comes with a standalone 2D side-scroller called Assassin's Creed Chronicles China, where you play as Xiao Jun, the last surviving assassin in China. And she apparently was mentioned in, I believe, like Assassin's Creed Revelations, the, the novel, or some, some novel that takes place around Ezio's time, because she was apparently one of the like recruits that was trained during his time as the master of the assassins, and then she brought you know the order to China, and now she's the last one around, and you'll get to play as her. I, I, like, I like the way that they're branching out, and not only trying new you know, locations, but also new gameplay styles. That's something yeah. that I think Assassin's Creed could definitely benefit from. Well, I mean, the, the enemy of greatness is stagnancy. Yeah, as, as annualized uh, video game series often do. Mm-hmm. As I've said before, though, Assassin's Creed is probably the only one that I've, you know, that they've varied it enough year to year that I've gone on board and actually gotten each one for the last couple of years. Yeah, though I'm I'm still really excited for Far Cry 4. That needs to come out now. Of course. Right now. Well, that's not annualized at all, though. No, but it's still a series. That's that's the only reason why I'm thinking of it. But because mm. it, it even if it's well, just annualized ones, I guess are a little bit more susceptible to the to the to the repentancy um, that comes with that. But I mean, any great game series, it's like, hey, this has been working really well. We should just do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Far Cry thankfully hasn't done that yet. Well, actually, I can't say that because I've only played three and Blood Dragon. <laughs> but I'm excited for the villain in this new one, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah. First League of Legends, though. First League of Legends. Woo! And as always, Riot is working towards cleaning up ranked play, specifically um, getting players who are abusive and overly negative to... To Hakuna their tatas. <laughs> so they they've come up with something called ranked restrictions, where if someone is toxic enough in a game, they'll not only restrict the in-game chat, but they'll also prevent them from joining ranked queues until they've completed a certain number of regular games. So how do they measure this toxicity? Is it by other people reporting them, or do they have to like? go back and Riot reviews the chat logs as well and makes a decision, you know, case by case, or what is it? Like, is it a, is it a purely automated system, or...? I'm, I'm thinking that it's, honestly, um, brain work. I think it's just with people being reported, okay. but I'm not 100% sure, to be completely honest. They don't mention it here on the, on the boards that Riot put up. Well... A game that aims to not even have toxic players be, you know, a possibility is Wander, which is... So So you remember all of those wonderful walking simulators that came out, you know, over the last, like, year and a half, such like as Dear Gone Esther. Home and Stanley Parable, and, yeah, Dear Esther kind of pioneered that space. Uh, well, Wander is trying to take that and make that into an MMO, where you you play as a... so. This, this whole concept was inspired by the creator's year where he just spent it traveling around, especially like in the Himalayas, 
and he had some great experiences where people, you know, would see him traveling and they would, you know, just tell him like, "Oh, there's there's a really cool thing up that way that you can go and see." And then he would, you know, go and find it like a, a frozen waterfall or what have you. And Ooh. then he and then later he would pass that information on to somebody else who he met, you know, along his travels. And he was like, "Hold on. We need to make a game where not only is this a possibility, but that's like the entire point is just exploration and players helping each other to discover cool things. So Wander was envisioned as a completely non-combat MMO. And in order to make players feel even more kind of part of the world, you play as a, a what are they called, a shapeshifter. Where, like, so you start off in a jungle and you're a tree. Hmm. Yeah. And so you're, you're a tree that walks around. And, you know, if you go to, like, a, a sea environment, you become, I, th- I think you become, like, a sea lion and, you know, other things like that. But the, the goal is to have a, 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 an environment where players, you know, aren't going to harass each other and be mean. I like it. Me too. I don't know how long I would play it before getting bored, but hopefully there's yeah. cool stuff in it. There's a, there's a floating island. I would go to just to see that floating island. <laughs> how much does it cost? I don't know. It's it's still in development. Yeah. There's like I don't think there's any word of even when it's coming out. This is just talking about the concept of the game. <laughs> I, I I like the first two. I I went to the site and looked at the comments. First two comments. Number one was Tree Beard Simulator. Yep. Second one was I am Groot. <laughs> As Ryan likes to say, the comments are often the best parts of the article. Yes. All right, well, they're not the only ones who are working on trying to destroy negative gameplay and negative players. Well, not destroy negative players, but destroy negative tendencies in players. Um, and this one is actually in a game that I think you play a little bit more so than me. Yeah, I haven't gotten around to it in a very long time. <laughs> Mostly because I don't have anybody to play with. Oh, well, then I should install it again and we should play some more because I have some friends who play. Okay. But World of Tanks is now trying to make things more of a fair play system in that whenever people are repeatedly AFK or just running away, like disconnecting from the game before they're dead because they've already lost and just giving up like that, they are beginning to incur penalties. Where first couple times they do it, there's going to be nothing, just a warning. Next couple time, or the next time that they do it, once they reach a certain point, set minimum of battles, um... Then they they just don't earn any rewards for that game, and then if they continue to do it, then they get fined hmm. in game currency more and more and more and more. So it's an I'm interesting hoping, thing. I'm hoping that they only like take away the currency that you get, you know, for free by playing games, and yeah. not the currency that you spend money on, because that taking away the the currency that you have to spend money on seems like a no no. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that legally they could do it, but it seems like not a good thing. You know, not that would be a bad precedent. Yeah. No, it's just it's just in-game currency. Okay. Well, but I mean, like there's two in-game currencies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, one that you one that you buy with cash and one that you get through playing more games. Sorry, it's the earned yeah. in-game okay. currency. Good. Good, good. Good. So, Sunset Overdrive, have you are you familiar with that one? Not yet, but I saw the yeah, so, so this game, 
for those of you who don't know what it is, Sunset Overdrive was one of the first games that was announced for the now current gen systems. I believe it's an Xbox exclusive. Uh, it's a third person, just, you know, crazy over the top, um, uh, third person shooter that it's, the story involves some sort of like energy drink that mm-hmm. it turns people into mutants and there's like this big citywide celebration and everybody drinks it and then they become mutants and stuff and you, the protagonist, have to go and like destroy these mutants and take down the factory where the thing is made or something like that. But it's, it's so crazy that, you know, you know how publishers love to make live action trailers. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, recently there was a Destiny live action trailer before, before the game launched. Well, the makers of Sunset Overdrive decided, well, it would probably be a very bad idea to make a live-action, you know, trailer for our game. So instead, they made a trailer about trying to make a live-action trailer. And it is (laughs) probably the funniest thing that I watched this week. So I definitely encourage people to go and see it. It's it's a little too long for us to watch, but it's a good one. It is a good one. (laughs) And it looked like it's a really interesting... Thing in that you can't stop moving at all during the game, and you have like a system of ropes that you can zip along on, like a zip line sort of thing, or you can also do rail grinds to keep moving. But you have to keep moving. So if anything, it's really good practice for other video games where you have to be in transit kills. Yeah, strafing, and and mm-hmm. we're going all the way back to like Doom or Quake or whichever one that one is. Something like that. I Something wasn't around like in the '90s. Neither was I, but our guest next week was. <laughs> we should talk about that when we get to the bottom. Sounds the good. Next week preview. Sounds good. Well, everyone on here kind of knows, well, I guess they don't necessarily know, but asymmetrical multiplayer games are things that I've recently fallen in love with. And we talked about one on here that is a horror asymmetrical multiplayer game called The Flock where one person has an orb that lights up and the rest of the people are trying to kill them. Now, if the orb is shining on someone and it's always in the direction that you're looking, they cannot move. They become stone. And if they move, then they die. But otherwise, they can run up to him and try and kill him while his back is turned. So it's essentially the weeping angels of of multiplayer games. And... They just recently announced that there is a closed alpha, and you can go and register for it. And that's I have a direct link to that in the show notes. So if you guys want to go and get scared out of your pants with friends, then I suggest you go and pick this up. And have your friends scare the pants off of you. Mm-hmm. Works best if you're significant others in the room as well. Yeah, I, I can imagine. <laughs> Saves time. <laughs> So Space Base DF9, that was one of the games that Double Fine demoed during their Amnesia Fortnite, and I I was kind of lukewarm to it, but mostly because I, I don't really get into the, you know, whole uh, sim kind of, you know, building up a, 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 a town, you know, with, with workers and stuff genre, which is what Space Base belongs to. Um it is leaving early access, and they've launched, you know, the the 1.0 build. And usually, that's a cause for celebration. You know, the game's launched, yay! But in this case, it's not a good thing because Double Fine was approaching the early access kind of concept like this. So any sales that they got during the early access period of the game, they just took that money and invested it in the development of the game. Kind of makes sense, hmm. but. 
they also weren't really putting any other money into it. So recently when, you know, sales kind of petered off, they decided that they couldn't afford to keep developing the game anymore and put any of the other planned features into the game, which didn't go over well with the people who have already bought the game, as you can imagine. Yeah. So, yeah, Tim Schafer had to get on the Steam forum and uh, kind of explain, you know, why they why they can't put these things in there, what the plan is. They, they will be supporting the game, you know, with, like, bug fixes and, you know, st- stuff like that going forward after launch, but they're not going to be, you know, adding any more features to the game. And, of course, like, a bunch of other developers who use the early access model have had to quickly like get on the internet and tell everybody don't worry don't worry this is not an indication that early access you know is a is a failed concept like we have enough cash saved up to just keep developing our game for 5 years or more even if we don't sell any more early access uh titles so it's yeah. it's, it's it's a high profile kind of failure but that's yeah Whoopsie. I mean, in some ways, I guess it's kind of not their fault, but in some ways it is. I don't know. Yeah, I kind I, of... Go ahead. I, I almost, like, I like Double Fine. Yeah. Same. And I partially don't care about this because I wasn't interested in Deep Space Nine, I mean, Space Base DF9 in the first place, but at the same time, yeah, it's like, it would have been much, much better for everyone involved, even even those not involved, if it had worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I know I don't have the most interesting things to say today. <laughs> that's fine. We can move on to the next thing. Sounds good. That's that's what we do when we run out of things to say about one headline, right? Is we we go on to something else. What? And keep the show moving? Where's the fun in that? I, what I a started. concept. All right. So new Far Cry 4 trailer. And as I said, I really like the villains in this game so far. Every single villain that I've come across in any part of the game, whether it be something like the or like the regular Far Cry 3 campaign or in Blood Dragon, they are all scary good criminal, criminals that get, or not criminals, bad guys, antagonists that give Iago a run for his money as <laughs> probably the scariest bad guy of all time. So this one has just a scary little bit... What? That, that, and that's not Iago from Aladdin. That That's Iago from Othello. Yes. And this guy seems honestly like he's just as insane and as scary as is kind of come to be expected of the game, but it looks like it's going to be a really good villain. So we're going to play the video and show you guys at least the audio because you can gather pretty much everything that you need to know from the audio. He's got a good voice, but man, does his crazy come through in his voice. Oh yeah, I love the voice actor too. All right, here we go. Peggy 18. Well, go on, take the bloody bag off his head. Fresh start. Introductions. RJ Gale, our guest of honor, little monkey, whose name I still don't know, and I, of course, am Pagan Men. There are some very disreputable people around. Those f***ers, they ruin everything. Look to my example and see it as the positive influence it is. Then they say I've lost touch with my subjects. I'm with RJ Gale. Help. (laughs) 
text for help, you cry for help. Help? You mean it, boy. Help! From your diaphragm! Help! help! <laughs> shh, 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 shh. Now we listen. Nothing. <laughs> I'm afraid they're not coming for you, buddy. <laughs> so, yeah, he's a little crazy. Hey, at I'm least he's giving him, him, like, projection lessons from your diaphragm. <laughs> Because, yes, that's the only thing that he needed to make his life complete. was It wasn't dying. No. <laughs> or not dying in his case, maybe. Just voice lessons. I should definitely play Far Cry 3. Yes. So that... Of course you can, because it's on my Steam library, and you have access to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only issue is time. <laughs> <laughs> so... That Gear VR, you know, the virtual reality headset that uses the Galaxy Note 4 to power everything, it's going to be launching soon. Great thing for, for everybody, you know, we, we all love it. Except that, you know, none of us have Galaxy Note 4s, but that's, that's you know, a separate issue. Well, <laughs> another issue is that Oculus and Samsung haven't figured out, you know, the payment system in their store yet. So if any developers want to release their, you know, games on the... Gear VR at launch, they have to give them away for free to the users until such time as Samsung integrates a payment system. Whoopsies. Yeah, that's that's not a good thing, especially because the early adopters, you know, who buy a Galaxy Note 4 and buy the Gear VR specifically to have these experiences to have these games are going to be the kind of people who are going to be willing to spend more money on the games themselves because you know they've already made that investment to get the hardware Mm -hmm. they might as well make the investment to get the software but like and I mean if they want software developers to develop things usually it has to be have some sort of payment incentive too how do you not have a payment system like how hard is that to integrate I don't understand Apparently more difficult than you might think. I guess this is another, you know, reason that Samsung will never be able to make its own app store. <laughs> <laughs> Who's do they use now? I mean, the, when you buy a Samsung phone, it uses Google Play, right? Okay. Yeah, and part right. part of that is, I'm sure that Google would never ever allow them to have a rival app store on <laughs> on Android. <laughs> The great Google overlord is not always merciful. I mean, Samsung's tried everything else. They have their own stupid internet browser. You know, they have their own text messaging app. They have all of these other things. Like, pretty much every part of Android they have tried, you know, replicated and made a crappy version of. Yeah. I'm sure that if they, if, if Google let them, they would totally make their own app store and try to sell apps on there. Kind of like Amazon does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Origin. Well, except that Origin isn't on Android. Yeah, well, I mean, like, things that have made their own, that are breaking off from the, the branch yeah. of the big developer I, distributors. I mean, yes, Valve does have a huge market share in the PC gaming retail sector, but they're not like the overlords the way that Google is, because Google also controls the operating system. I suppose. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Sorry, I'm looking at the current Humble Bundle, because that's another thing that I obviously thinking about. <laughs> Ooh, I wonder if the books bundle is still there. Yes, it is. Cool. I might pay 15 bucks and get, what is it, $510 worth of, of comic books? Comics book? Yep. Yeah. Go for it. I didn't recognize any of the comic books, so I decided not to go for that one. Neither did I, but that doesn't mean that they're not good ones. True. Doesn't mean that I can't discover new favorites. 
If you really need me to, I'll share them with you. There you go. Hey, by the way, did you get back the uh, the Deadpool comic? Yes. That, okay, good, good. Because I, on my way out from the United States, I was like, um, Dad, you should like give this back to Ian at some point. Because <laughs> I can't. <laughs> yeah. Did you get a chance to read it at all? No, I did not. <laughs> oh. Still worth reading, especially because that particular one is written by Christopher Hastings. Right. Oh, yeah. I think I remember I read like the first page and then never got around to it. With the walrus being the bad guy. <laughs> Tusk. <I> mean, <laughs> the movie. Aww. That's pretty close. That does sound like a walrus, I think. Aww. Wait, I don't have a bucket, though. All right, what's next? All right. So another game that's coming out that looks like it could be kind of interesting, with especially with the whole open world exploration thing, is a game called Vane. It's I I don't really know much about the game other than what it says on the trailer. So it says something about a recurring dream over and over again, and you play as a boy who's in this open world desert, okay. essentially who's running around, um, figuring out puzzles. I, I don't really know much about the story other than you're a boy trapped in this dream world, essentially. Um, and then there's these things called veins, which you can use to manipulate the weather. And there's lots of different weather things that go on, like sandstorms and lightning storms and all that fun stuff. Okay. But it, it, it looks like it could be a lot like Journey as well, except without the fantastic soundtrack. Because that's, that's going to be one hard soundtrack to beat. Right. But... Going around following the story, a character that doesn't really talk much, if at all. Did we want to watch the trailer? I don't think they'd get much out of this trailer, because there's not much talking. Um, Yeah, it's just a bunch of pretty music. And I mean, it's definitely worth one worth watching on your own, because then you can maybe see what it is, because the the graphics, the visuals for it look absolutely stunning. Awesome. Yeah, I, I haven't watched the trailer yet, but I'll have to after the show. Oh! So this, so this is what it says on on the description on the YouTube video. A recurring dream a thousand years old. A land shut off from the world by walls of sand. A glimmering power enslaving the ones within. Vane is an open world adventure game based on mystery and exploration currently in development by friend and foe for the PC and every other platform we can get our hands on. This is an early teaser of gameplay footage from TGS 2014. All right, all right. Now, if it doesn't have a very good soundtrack and you want to play your own music while playing the game, lucky for you, the Steam music player is now out of beta and is in the, you know, the full client for Steam. Unfortunately, I mean, in my opinion, it kind of sucks because <laughs> it, okay, first problem for me anyway is it'll only play, you know, music that you have on your hard drive, which makes sense because it's a media player on your computer, uh, but most of the music that I listen to, I don't own, you know, so I, like, I have no choice but to stream it through Google Music. Second problem, if it finds music, like, you, you know, you, you direct it to whatever folder you have your music in, and then it'll, you know, put all those things in your library, you can't remove them from your library, except by deleting the MP3s. Oh, yeah, they, I don't know, they haven't really uh, gotten a good library management system yet. At least you can, you know, create your own playlists and stuff, so if you don't want to ever hear something, just don't add it to a playlist and then only look at those playlists. But, yeah, kind of a big limitation. Um, and the only real advantage that it has over any other 
media player that you currently use is the fact that you know you can get to it via the Steam overlay instead of alt-tabbing out to the desktop. But that's fairly trivial already. Yeah. You know. So I don't know. I I don't think I would ever use it, especially since you know, all of the playlists that I use are already you know already exist in Google Play. Google Play music. So I don't know. I don't want to have to recreate those playlists elsewhere. <laughs> Too much work. You lazy bum. Oh, but the good thing about this this release is that Valve is celebrating it as they do all things that they release by yeah. making like all of their games. 75% off, and in this case, they're also releasing the soundtracks for the Half-Life games, the Portal games, and uh, that documentary free-to-play that they that they released about Dota 2. And so those those uh, um, soundtracks are now all available as like free DLCs for those games. So if you own those games, you get the soundtracks as well, and they just you know automatically download to your computer along with the games, and they're Kind of, you know, they're they're kind of hidden in the Steam hierarchy of folders unless you go through the Steam music player, which automatically looks in those folders for the music anyway. Where where do they go on sale? They went on sale earlier this week. I don't know if they're still around. It might just be like through through this weekend. I think earlier today when I checked, they were still nope. on sale. Nope, they're nope. gone. Counter Strike oh. Go is not on. Oh. Well, yeah, I I don't know for sure if Counter Strike Go was one of them, but oh, okay. uh, yeah, check check like the other ones, check check the Half Life ones specifically because I know that the like the Half Life Complete Pack was super super cheap. Um, yeah, and my my relationship with the the you know Half Life and Portal soundtracks has been interesting over the years too because first I got them as the Orange Box soundtrack, right? Yeah. Uh, you you bought that through iTunes back in the day, right? And Orange Box? Yeah, I believe. Yeah, you have that one, right? Yes. Yeah, and I, I think I bought it through like Amazon or something. And but the problem with that is it doesn't come with very many songs from any one of those games. You know, it it comes with a few. it's I think it's got like three from TF2, a handful from Portal, and then the rest are from Half Life 2 Episode One and Half Life 2 Episode Two. But no sound or no no songs from like. Half-Life 2 itself, and, and, you know, so there's not very many. Then, in Audio Surf, I discovered that it comes with, quote, the Orange Box soundtrack, but it has more songs. Like, it has a bunch from Half-Life 1, it has a bunch from Half-Life 2, and it has even more songs from, like, TF2 and Portal and everything. Unfortunately, like, the Half-Life, the songs for Half-Life and Half-Life 2 were just labeled Half-Life Song 1, Half-Life Song 2. You know, they didn't have the actual names of the song. They didn't have good metadata, which was a big bummer because then when I yeah. uploaded them to Google Music, they, you know, they didn't have any album art or anything. You know, the, the, it looked really sketchy. Now, this release finally has, like, all of the songs, proper <laughs> album art, good metadata, and I'm happy for once. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, I went and played them all on AudioSurf. That's another thing that I did this week. I played a bunch of AudioSurf. Good job. I mean, I, I'm the world champion in a few of the songs now. <laughs> Gosh. What are we going to do with you? Put me up on a pedestal? Declare me the audio You are not Google. Get off your pedestal. That's true. I'm not actually, like, the best in the world at audio surf. You are not the best around. I, I'm the best person that I know at audio <laughs> surf. 
That's fair. That'll mostly, get you. Mostly because I spend more time than anybody else. But I have 60, like, one hours in that game now. <laughs> Holy crap. And when you consider that that game it exists entirely as listening to music, like, and not doing other things, <laughs> that's a lot of time. Mm-hmm. However, at least it's a music-based game that you have that much time invested in. I can get behind that as a musician. Yeah. At least we agree on something. <laughs> so it would seem. All right, let's see. Where are we? We are right here? Oh, yes. So, moving on. A game that I'm completely torn, and I think I always say this whenever we bring this up, but that I'm completely torn about whether or not I want to get it, is The Evil Within. Because it's made by Bethesda Softworks and the same guy that did the original Resident Evil. So I know it's going to be a good game. But at the same time, it's going to be freaky beyond all reason. So I might have to get drunk to play it. But <laughs> or that or it, I, I'm, maybe I'll play it and then actually have a Let's Play channel yeah. with it. Cause that could actually be live stream this stuff? Yeah. I would watch that. <laughs> so what, what's new about it this week? Uh, system system requirements were announced, and I know that that doesn't really seem entirely like news, but just something that's kind of amusing is that they have recommended PC system specifications, but then they don't have any minimums listed. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, if you're not going to get this, then we can't guarantee that it's actually going to be good. You will raise the bar of your hardware, or we do not care about you. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so it was... It was just that the the system specs seemed a little high, and more than anything, just that they didn't include any minimums. Yeah, they, um, I mean, they insist on you having a graphics card that has four gigs of VRAM. Like, mm-hmm. that's that's a, that's quite a bit. I7 with four plus cores, four gigs of RAM. You can't get an i7 with less than eight cores. Yeah. Can you? I don't think so. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Especially with hyperthreading. Yeah, that's yeah exactly. Then 50 gigabytes of hard drive space. It says it'll game up, or it'll take up approximately 41 gigabytes of hard drive space. So that's this is going to be another one of those games like Wolfenstein, where I'll install it and then remove it once I'm done. Mm-hmm. But this, it was made by Bethesda as well, so I guess the the stupidly large requirement, <laughs> or at least disk requirement, isn't that big of a surprise now that I look at this. I don't know. Um, is there something like about the engine that Bethesda uses that just takes tons of hard drive space? I have no idea. I don't know. I, I remember um, that Titanfall's surprisingly large hard drive footprint was due to the fact that they had all of the audio uncompressed so that your computer didn't have to uncompress the audio while you were playing and theoretically work better on, like, you know, cheaper CPUs. I said that again? Sorry, I was looking at some of the comments. Um, like, I, I remember the example of Titanfall where they had a lot of hard drive space requirement because they stored all of the audio uncompressed so that the computer didn't have to uncompress the audio while it was playing. Mm, I have no chance. idea what Bethesda does. but There's a good chance that that's the case. I'm not 100% sure. But... Yeah. So it's going to have to be a beastly game. A lot of the people in the comments were complaining about, golly, just, or no, were complaining about um, being a bad PC port and them not giving any thought to it and all that fun stuff. So, I mean, whiners will be whiners. But we don't know what the quality of the PC port is yet because it hasn't come out yet. So we have no way of speaking to that, right? I suppose. Now, a game that I'm betting is going to be pretty darn good on PC is the next Total War game. 
And it was announced this week that it is going to be Total War Attila, which is, of course, the perfect follow-up to Rome 2, because now we get to see Rome fall, or potentially, if you want to play as Rome and try not to fall, you can try doing that. <laughs> uh, that sounds like that's going to be the most difficult scenario in the game. Um, and they so they released a trailer this week where Attila the Hun is basically addressing Rome directly, and much like the Joker, he just wants to watch the world burn. Yeah. So let's listen to him talk for a little while. Sounds good. Peggy 16. I am beyond imagining. The pinnacle of human achievement and the envy of the world. Did you think it would last? The eternal city. That glorious monument to power, culture, and learning. But the old wolf lies wounded by jackals, circled by vultures. Worried to death by a thousand tiny, vicious mouths brought low by your own arrows. These are the death throes of Rome. The light of civilization dim. And you've such precious time left to hide your women, for your children to cry. Even at the moment of your final defeat, you will take no comfort in oblivion. For I am coming for you. I ride with a million warriors! I bring the end of days! I am the Scourge of God! And I will watch your world burn. So that voice actor almost, almost, almost sounded like Marcus <laughs> at the beginning from Borderlands, and I just wanted him to yell, no refunds, at the end. <laughs> and I'm not sure where that accent was from. I think he was trying to sound... I, I don't know. He, he was definitely trying to sound foreign, at least, but I don't know if that's yeah. necessarily... I don't know if it really matters, because, you know... No, like, the English language didn't exist as it does now back then, so, <laughs> you yeah. know, they can have him, like, it's, it's like encountering historical figures in Doctor Who, like, it doesn't matter what they sound like. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose, I suppose, okay, I guess it's me up next, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I suppose it's about that time of year, ain't it? What time would that be? Is winter coming? Well, yeah, that too, but... Dude, it's been it's been below freezing here already. <laughs> I got to walk home at and it or I mean walk to school in the morning and it was you know one two degrees Celsius, pretty good. My care package hasn't come yet either, so I don't have winter clothes. Yet you'll yeah. you'll get it soon. Yeah, should come next week. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what what's our favorite? Well, I guess maybe not our favorite game developer, but. One of the ones who we always talk about and who we'll be talking about at least a little bit a little bit later in this show. Valve. Valve. 
easy, easy question. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And what's a contest that they host uh, about this time every year that uses the um, Source Filmmaker? Hmm, well, that could only be the Saxy Awards. The sexiest is time to get very sexy. Who is the sexiest of them all? Uh, well, that's what people are trying to determine. Mm. And voting, unfortunately, for that, we, we missed reporting on this early enough that you guys could go in and vote, unless this gets put out, like, on Monday, because, and you listen to it on Monday, the 29th of September, because the voting goes from the 24th of September through the 29th of September. But something that's exciting about this is that it's not restricted to just TF2 anymore, and it's not restricted to just Valve things either anymore. There's lots of indie developers and crossovers, like the 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 example video for the announcement of the Saxi Awards was the Stanley Parable. That's the one that I'm kind of most excited about. With 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 some of the with one of the robots was which one was that? It was the tall, skinny one. What's the name of that one again? Uh, that was one. Peabody. We're Peabody, talking about yeah. Portal Portal Two, right? Yes, Portal Two. Yeah. With Peabody running around in the Stanley Parable. <laughs> so. Go check that out, because that looks like it could be loads of silliness and fun. And even if you miss the voting period, I mean, theoretically, the ones that win the voting should be the best of them. So even if you only get there in time to watch those ones, you get to watch the best of them without having to sort through all of the, you know... I don't know if there's going to be a bunch of crap or not. I haven't watched them yet, but... Yeah. yeah. And besides just that, I mean... Look up all the runner-ups for each category, too, because those are always going to be good oh. as well. Oh, yeah. So, sad news, I guess, this week. Blizzard has canceled Titan, which was their next MMO project, and it had been in development for seven years, apparently, although it was never announced. I personally, I don't think I had ever heard of it. Did you know that they were working on another MMO? I had not, actually. Yeah, so... It was a very strange news story. Like, everybody was like, oh, no, they they canceled the next MMO. And some people were like, is Blizzard going, you know, going bankrupt? Or not bankrupt, but, you know, is, are they losing their touch? And other people are like, no, 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 it's a good thing that they, you know, canceled uh, a game when, when they realized that it wasn't going to be working out. And, I mean, I, I was just like, huh, I don't know. I, was, I wasn't looking forward to the game because I didn't know that it was a thing. <laughs> So now I know what not to look forward to in the future. Yes. Oh, boy. And I wouldn't have put it in here, except that Andrew Bailey mentioned it uh, on Control Structure, and then he was like, well, go and listen to 8-Bit, because I'm sure that they're going to be talking about it on the next episode. And I'm like, ah, oh, I have to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's enough MMOs anyway, and yeah. they have their one that, to work on enough. So Speaking of which, isn't, isn't Guild Wars like free right now this weekend or something? And for a week, like, there's though that that's not oh that is an MMO. Sorry. Yes, yeah. Guild Wars is <laughs> an MMO. Not an MMO. <laughs> Sorry, I thought it was a. I was think, thought we were talking about MOBAs for a second. But. No, I can help you with your Guild Wars question. So, Guild Wars is currently <laughs> having a free to play weekend, and by that it's a, it's just a trial trial. So you can just go sign up. You get five days for free until like the first. So you've used a few days up already, but it's also 50% off. So if you like it, buy it. There's no better time than now. Yep. Means you, Buck, need to go on and start playing it. I already bought it, so there's no rush to get me to start playing it now. You know what I mean? Yeah, I suppose. 
Right now, it's it's a part of my backlog, <laughs> <laughs> which means that it's never going to get any love. So sad. So sad. Oh well. I mean, what are we gonna do? All right. Um. Oh, it's me next, isn't it? <laughs> so we like weird games with weird concepts on this show, or at least talking about them and hopefully playing them eventually. Because we're gaming hipsters. Shut up. No, I'm not a hipster. <laughs> I mean, sure, I drink scotch ale and only good beer, but no, I'm not a hipster. <laughs> Actually, that makes me not nice. a hipster because I, I refuse to drink PBR. But a uh, new FPS, team-based FPS, that's also free, mind you, has been released called Swap from someone called Chaos Theory Games. Now, the the concept behind Swap is that there are no guns. And what you have to do is actually... You, you described it as a shooter already, right? Yeah. Okay. You're going to have to explain this to me. <laughs> Working on it. So what you have to do is... Let's see. So I'll read the description on the website. Um, the gameplay revolves around one central mechanic, swapping. Swapping involves launching a projectile that allows you to exchange bodies with an opponent that it comes into contact with. You don't exchange teams or names, only your physical bodies, and when combined with a multitude of traps in the environment, this allows players to disorient and destroy enemies, as well as traverse the arena with greater swiftness. The online multiplayer supports two to eight players in two teams, who star in a sporting event-inspired arena where they must complete, or compete to deliver virus fragments to the opponent's base, eventually crashing their server, a modified capture-the-flag game type. It also includes a level editor, allowing players to develop their own arenas that are automatically sent to all players when they join a match, making it easy to play together using custom content. We do not have any play plans to monetize Swap and are offering it for free, no strings attached. We've worked hard to make it the best experience possible, and we just want people to enjoy it. This sounds awesome! Mm-hmm. I need to play this! Oh my god! <laughs> and it's for both Mac and PC, so it's cross-platform for computers as well. So that way you won't have to deal with Ubuntu. <laughs> exactly. And, and Firefox, you know, taking up gobs of hard drive space for some reason. <laughs> oh, Andrew Bailey's going to have a fit when he hears this. <laughs> Actually, his last episode, he um, posted a a link to to an article arguing why everybody should switch to Firefox from Chrome. Uh, and the the, the reason state cited was because Google's taking over everything, and you know they're they're already starting to make features that are only available on Chrome and stuff, and that's you know bad for the open internet and everything. And then I noticed that the article was written in Blogger, and I just kind of laughed. <laughs> <laughs> so the great Google overlords are coming. Speaking of the great Google overlords, they the only game that they've ever made is Ingress. And it's a game that I started playing a while ago and then stopped playing because I realized, after Ryan realized, that the game was, like, all grind and that, you know, once you hit, like, a level cap, there's there's no point anymore. And their attempts at increasing the level cap were not good for, you know, beginner players and stuff like that. So we kind of became disenfranchised with the game over time. But, but, now... Oh my goodness, Ingress is introducing user-created scavenger hunts. Ooh. So, it, like, so it's becoming geocaching, Google bit, version. It, a little bit. It's, so you can either, I believe you can create like one where there are specific, you know, 
waypoints on the map that are you know very very obvious for your for your the people who are trying to do that that mission that scavenger hunt to go and find or you can make them a little bit more kind of vague you know where you just kind of it, it's more of a riddle uh, scavenger hunt and then you have to go and find the you know exact locations where that they're that they're talking about that they're referencing um, I think the only requirement is that you have to start your scavenger hunt at an existing portal um, but it that should be interesting um, I Right now, I think the scavenger hunts that are that exist were are only you know like Google employees can make them and a certain you know list of whitelisted people that they're that they're kind of expanding over time. Hopefully, hopefully it'll roll out because I want to try it out. And of course, it, now I've looked at the map to see what the map looks like here in Luleo, and I'm like, oh, I gotta go play. <laughs> There's some resistance people, you know, with some low-level portals nearby that I got to go take out. Ah, oh, I'm awful. I have no self-control. <laughs> I'm almost tempted to root for the resistance. Why? Well, they want the power to be free for everyone, right? No. No. They want the power to not exist. Oh. They want they want to get rid of these creative juice creating stuff. The Enlightenment wants to use it for the betterment of mankind. Alright, fine. Never mind. Enlightenment. Hey. Go green. I I don't go green. As in green. Alright, let's see. Uh oh. This this one's actually kind of interesting. So we were talking a little bit earlier about um games that were that came out with annual installments, right? And the one that's probably the most guilty of this is Call of Duty, right? That's always the implied subject when we're talking about annualized games, isn't it? <laughs> yep. Well, something that's kind of interesting involving that game, there was a, a dictator in Panama named Manuel Noriega who was convicted of crimes against, against, against his people and thrown into prison. And he was used as an antagonist in Call of Duty Black Ops. And he wasn't the main antagonist. He was actually just a side antagonist. So he was actually pissed about that, believe it or not. <laughs> um, and so he is suing Activision for using his name as a villain in the Call of Duty Black Ops franchise. And, he's, um, and Activision is being defended by the former New York City mayor, Rudy uh, Giuliani, I think is how you pronounce his name. Okay. But he has some interesting things to say about it. So I'm going to play the video, which is only two and a half minutes long, for you guys to listen to and get a better grasp of what's going on. Call of Duty is bringing a motion to dismiss an outrageous lawsuit by one of the worst criminals of the last 50 years, Manuel Noriega, who is seeking millions and millions of dollars because he is a minor figure in a game called Call of Duty. Uh, in which he's portrayed for what he is, one of the most brutal dictators and killers uh, in the world. Well, in this lawsuit against uh, Call of Duty, a great deal is at stake beyond just Call of Duty. This would open the floodgates to people like bin Laden's uh, uh, family, people like Fidel Castro, people like uh, the head of ISIS or ISIL, people like Assad. Uh, they could sue any time they were mentioned, not just in a game, but in a movie or a book. Games, movies, and books are considered the same, according to the United States Supreme Court, for free speech purposes. So it would destroy, to a very, very large extent, the creative genre 
of uh, historical fiction. I'm involved in this lawsuit because I feel very strongly uh, that the free speech rights involved here are enormously important. I am tremendously offended by the fact that one of the worst criminals of the last 25 or 50 years, a criminal that I am quite familiar with as the former United States attorney in the Southern District of New York, this man is convicted in the United States, he's convicted in France, and he's convicted in Panama of killing his own people. I am so offended by the fact that this man is trying to seek millions and millions of dollars from a company that makes call of duty that is a good, decent American company, a company that employs 7,500 people, a company that finds jobs for veterans, over 5,000 jobs for veterans, a company that invests in the community, and a company that has made a game that pits good against evil and has good come out as the winner. This is a, a complete violation of our right of free speech, and he's making a mockery of the American legal system. If you don't get upset about that, you have no sense of justice. All right, so here's a little bit more eagle thumping than I had imagined. Yeah, I, I, was, I was on board until he started, you know, like talking about Activision and how great a company they are in America and everything. And it, like, yeah. You know, it doesn't matter what kind of company they are. You can't sue them for using your name in a work of fiction. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> like let's 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 stick with the issue at hand here and not get carried away. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's an interesting bit of news, despite about how it was presented in this video. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have to keep an eye on that. It's and very, see how that trial very goes. interesting. Though I don't think that necessarily that, as he pointed out, and as you said, and as is pretty well understood, I don't think that he'll be able to necessarily succeed in that lawsuit simply because it is a work of fiction. Yeah. Where where is he right now? What what jail is he in? Like where is he being held? I don't know. That's that's a um, question for Wikipedia, I think. Looking it up right now. Um, I'll do a tap dance in the meantime to keep our listeners occupied. Wait, I don't have the shoes for that. Never mind. Actually, if I if I did a tap if I tried to do a tap dance in my socks, how would that turn <laughs> out? I'd probably just hurt my feet, huh? It'd be a slip dance. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Oh my god, you I love the hardwood floors around here because like whenever. I'm walking from like the kitchen to my room. You know, I'll I'll walk quickly through the hallway, and then I'll just stop and I'll slide to my door, and then I'll just open the door and keep going. Like I I just it's so much fun. Yeah. Let's see. So he is currently in a prison in Panama. Okay. Um. Okay. Let's see. So yeah, he was. Um, yeah, he's he's in Panama, and he'll he was convicted. Um. Again and again, and he was actually given uh, an extradited, let's see, a conditional release was granted on September 23, 2011 for Noriega to be extradited to serve 20 years in Panama. He arrived in Panama on December 11, 2011. So, so he'll so be there for a while. Was he being held in the U.S. before that? Uh, Paris. Paris, okay. Okay. Interesting. International politics are fascinating. Yeah. So, oh, was he... Was he the one that, like, I don't know, like the CIA was supporting him at one point, but then turned around and, you know, supported the coup against him when they realized how terrible he was? Let's see. Involvement with the CIA. There's actually a section in Wikipedia about I, this. This is sounding familiar. 
Although the relationship did not become contractual until 1967, Noriega worked with the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, CIA, from the late 1950s until the 1980s. In 1988, grand juries in Tampa and Miami indicted him on U.S. federal drug charges. The 1988 Senate Subcommittee on Terrorism, Narcotics, and International Operations concluded, The saga of Panama's General Manuel Antonio Noriega represents one of the most serious foreign policy failures for the United States. Throughout the 1970s and the 1980s, Noriega was able to manipulate U.S. policy toward his country, while skillfully accumulating near-absolute power in Panama. It is clear that each U.S. government agency which had a relationship with Noriega turned a blind eye to his corruption and drug dealing, even as he was emerging as a key player on behalf of the Medellin cartel, a member of which was notorious Colombian drug lord Pablo Escobar. I've even heard that name. Noriega was allowed to establish the Hemisphere's first uh, narco-kleptocracy. One of the first cryptocracy. Wow, that's a word. That's an ugly word if I ever heard one. So a government relate um, based on the stealing of narcoleptics, on the stealing of drugs. Yeah. <laughs> if we break that word down, one of the large financial institutions that he was able to use to launder money was the Bank of Credit and Commerce International (BCCI), which was shut down at the end of the Cold War by the FBI. Noriega shared his cell with the ex-BCI executives in the facility known as Club Fred. 1988 presidential election, Democratic candidate Michael Dukakis highlighted his, this history in a campaign commercial attacking his opponent. Vice President and former CIA Director George H.W. Bush for his close relationship with Panamanian drug lord Noriega. Hmm. So it looks like they have the U.S. being portrayed as being manipulated by Noriega and supporting them, and then he, and then we eventually turned on him and I'm guessing him that of, yeah, the the courts are not going to be very shall we say, sympathetic towards him? No. In this case, against Activision? Yeah. No. But, I mean, I have to wonder how much of it was him actually manipulating the U.S. government and how much of it was us just being dumb. <laughs> yeah, I mean, golly. When, when, when you start getting into, you know, U.S. agencies trying to do work overseas, you know, and, you know, where they're trying to be the ones doing the manipulating and everything, it gets really, really complicated. Like, if you even try to explain the situation in Iraq right now with ISIS, like, you are going to get turned around. You're going to get so confused because there, you know, it's it's not easy. There there are no, there's as many sides as there are groups, yeah. essentially, you know. So, it's, yeah, international politics, complicated as hell. Mm-hmm. You know what else is complicated as hell? Huh. Trying to find obscure games on Steam. Psych, not anymore. <laughs> so our main topic this week is actually kind of a really big deal. The Steam store has a revamp. It's got a new design, new layout. Um, <laughs> in their in their little notes about you know what all has been changed, they actually make a joke about uh, the you know it's it's known as making the store blue. But in reality, it does so much more than that. So basically what they're doing is they're trying to account for the fact that Steam has, like, so they have something somewhere in the 3,000 number of games on Steam right now. Mm. And I think about a third of those were added in the last nine months. Those are, those are the numbers that I remember. So how are users supposed to keep up with that, you know, to find games that they are interested in that... Uh, aren't going to necessarily show up on the Steam front page? Well, the answer Valve came up with is, let's put them on the Steam front page for people 
depending on what games those people buy, what games those people play, what games you know their friends recommend, stuff like that. So the the homepage now is actually personalized for each each user. And so there's a few different systems that they that they do to make this work. Number one is the new releases section is no longer just new releases; it's popular new releases, and that's directly to account for the you know the the huge influx of games that you know like air traffic control nobody's going to want to play. <laughs> <laughs> um, then the the second thing is yeah they they have this new Steam curation system where, you know, groups can, like, for example, PC Gamer uh, got on this right away because they were like, you know, they, they already have a Steam group for a PC Gamer Steam group, and they also obviously have a bunch of reviews that they've written on their own website. So what the Steam curation system does is if you are, the like, an administrator for a Steam group, you can write a little summary of you know a game that that your group has reviewed, uh, you know 152 character summary of why you recommend it. Put a link in there to your full review, and then you know on the store it will list that your group recommends that game. And so for example, PC Gamer has you know they've been going through their you know their vast library of games that they have reviewed and like you know putting recommendations for the ones that they reviewed favorably uh and it's it's a super super easy way now for you to follow publications follow groups that that you that whose opinions you trust and see the you see those lists of games directly in the store and you know obviously not only is it you know you can manually go and look at that list but also those games are more likely to show up on the home page for you now yeah um for example the Nexus, us, 8-Bit, we have, uh, how long have we been doing this? Two and a half years now or something like that? Yeah, yeah. we started sophomore year. Yeah, so we have we have two and a half years of game reviews that we did. And over the last week, uh, since they launched this store, we created a new group. And then I went back through our history of episodes and listened to all of the reviews that we've done. And made, <laughs> I feel kind of crazy for doing this now because uh, I spent more more time doing it this week than I should have. But um, yeah, I, I wrote little little summaries of all of the reviews that we've done, and they're all up there on the group now. <laughs> so, also, yeah, I just realized that we missed our two-year celebration. Hmm? So that was on September 9th. Well, I mean, we we celebrated it with the beginning of season three. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, you're funny. We should have a company party sometime. Sometime, yes. I think uh, I think that Ryan will provide the Doctor Coke, Diet Coke. I mean, Doctor Shoot, Doctor Coke. <laughs> I can't, I can't speak. Um, so yes, if you if you like our reviews, if you trust our opinions, please, please, please go to the group. Like, join the group. Tr- follow our Steam Curator page so that we show up on your thing. I want to see that number go up, because right now there are two people following it, and that's Ian and I. And that's... Mm-hmm. Pretty- <laughs> <laughs> Once I did the reviews. I would feel so much better about myself if more people followed that. Um, and 
I love it. I love it that they let us link back to, you know, the, the well, that they put that in there, that, you know, as the entire concept is linking back to an original review. Yeah. The, the weird thing about it, though, is that unlike the reviews that you can write as an individual on Steam, you can't write an unfavorable Steam curation post. You know, they, they are all, we recommend this game. So, for example, there are a few games that we reviewed on our show that I didn't put on the recommendations uh, for, for our Steam curation because we didn't recommend them. So, those won't show up. Um, now, interestingly, developers have already reported that this system is working, that the whole new Steam uh, uh, store is, is giving them more page views and more people have their games on wish lists. And hopefully that'll translate into, you know, more sales, especially when that game goes on sale next. Hmm. I like it. Oh, I forgot. The other thing that the update brings is the queue. So now you have, like, every day there's going to be a new kind of list of ten games that Steam is like, do you like this game? Are you interested in this one? Or are you not? And, you know, and you'll, so you'll be able to click either put this on my wish list, give me updates about this game, or I don't care about this game. And that way you can further, you know, give it a sense of what kinds of games you like. And hopefully over time, that'll make it more and more and more accurate. So <laughs> I had a pretty interesting time with that, with that cue because uh, it, it thought that I wanted to watch lots and lots of documentaries. <laughs> Mostly because I own like every single documentary that's on Steam right now already, but then and then it had a bunch of like, like walking simulators, you know, so like Proteus and other games like that, and then suddenly like Rambo the video game just popped up in my queue, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Let's see, what do I have in my queue? I have Warframe, okay, which is a good one. Stronghold Crusader 2, which is an RTS. I don't hardly ever play any RTSs. Um, Outlast. <laughs> <laughs> I the Long Dark. This is um survival simulation. Yep, I I kickstarted that one, so it just came out actually. Their alpha. Uh, I'll I'll have to start playing it. I'm definitely not going to review it until they release like the full you know the story mode. Right now, it's just it's just an open world survive as long as you can kind of mode. Yeah. Available. Let's see what else. I did already find a game called The Cat Lady that looked really, really creepy, but it intrigued me. And so I put it on my wish list, and then, like, no lie, the very next day, they they came out with a Humble Bundle with it in it. So I bought the Humble Bundle for a dollar <laughs> and just got the game. I didn't even know about the other games in the bundle. I just wanted The Cat Lady. <laughs> oh, boy. But, yeah, I, I really, I really... Dr. Red Zero is around here. This this uh, this update, yeah. Oh man, great game. It was it was fifty percent off a while ago, but that was only you know a daily deal, so it's probably not still there. Nope. Now, Shadow of Mordor. The one thing the one thing that this made me realize is that because I, I I wanted to write recommendations for a bunch of old games that we both played way back in the day before we started this show, but we have no episodes to link to it, you know, to give more detailed thoughts on the games. So we are adding a new section to our podcast called 8-Bit Classics. And what this is going to be is basically us reviewing old games that we played a long time ago for the purpose of putting them up on the Steam curation page. So first up today, we're going to be talking about the Half-Life series. 
so I think we both got that in the originally in the orange box, yeah. Yep. Way back for Christmas of 2009. Oh man, we've been on Steam for five years now, haven't we? Yep. That's exciting. So that was oh man, that was my first I think you know try with a with a story based first person shooter, and it's still one of my favorites. <laughs> And just like everybody else, of course, we're waiting for Half-Life 3 to come out. But uh, in the meantime, here's here's what I would recommend for people. So Half-Life 2 and Half-Life 2 Episode 1 and Half-Life 2 Episode 2, wonderful, wonderful games. Even though they're, you know, Half-Life 2 is 10 years old now, it still holds up. It, it you know, obviously it doesn't look graphically insane, but it's it still looks like a good game. And the level design is still amazing. So, you know, even though it is completely linear, you know, modern modern audiences might not like that as much, but the, you know, the the level designs, you know, the puzzles that you encounter, they're they're light puzzles, but they're still designed really really well. Uh so I would recommend everybody go and play those. Half-Life 1 on the other hand, it was a great game at the time in 1998 when it came out, but I don't think so the so obviously, you know, the graphics are going to look terrible, but that's not the only issue. The other issue is that the level designs, I think, were not very good. No, I, the reason I actually never finished the original Half-Life, um, just because I kept on getting lost mm. in a lot of those levels, and it's like, where do I go next? Where do I go next? What do what? Okay. Fortunately, um, fortunately for us, the uh, Black Mesa Source project brings Half-Life 1 into the Source engine, but not only does it update the graphics, but it also, they redid a bunch of the levels that, you know, are widely considered to be the worst levels, like On a Rail. I think they got rid of On a Rail completely, and they've also, you know, redone some of the, the other kind of, you know, boss battle areas and stuff like that to make them be, you know, for you to have a better sense of what you're supposed to do rather than you know, the the obtuse level design of 1998. And so, unfortunately, that one's not completely finished. They haven't they haven't gotten uh, the, I think, any of the, the levels on the Alien World Zen done yet, but they're coming. So if you want to play this, this series, like, completely all the way through, start with Half-Life 2 and Half-Life 2 Episode 1 and Episode 2, and hopefully Black Mesa Source will be complete sometime in the near future. Hopefully. I, I, you know, I can't guarantee that. But, I, I mean, Half-Life 1 would just kind of disappoint you at this point. Um, oh, there's also the, the Half-Life, what was it, Opposing Force and Half-Life Blue Shift. Yep. Those ones were pretty darn short. I don't, they're not really super worth it unless you're, like, really, really, really into the series. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I mean, Blue Shift you play as Barney. Yep, yep. The police officer that helps... Um, yeah, the, sec- the security guard, yeah. And he, yeah, he becomes a big character in Half-Life 2. And I, actually, I've always, I've always kind of been fascinated by the fact that Opposing Force and Blue Shift were made by Gearbox. Really? Yeah. I, th- I believe that those were, like, the first games that they really made because before that, I think they just kind of made... They, they, you know, were a supporting developer for for other development teams. Like they, you know, they would make assets and stuff. And and the Half Life expansions were the first, you know, games that they really made on their own. And there's there's this there's this one moment 
in I, I I don't remember which one it was in. I think it was Opposing Force that all that just made me crack up because one of the puzzles involved going through you know the level to this area to turn on a valve, and then you had to come back up to the control station and you had to go to a different area of the map to go and turn or, you know uh, activate a gearbox. <laughs> and then you had to come back up and you had to turn both of them on in in the the console. So I have this nice screenshot of a console that just says gearbox valve. And I'm like, you guys are unbelievable. <laughs> I wonder if Valve would take kindly to that sort of poke today. I mean, I think they would because they're, you know, the Stanley Parable has references to Valve games in it. That, and that's that, very... and that's that's not associated with a Valve property at all. You know, they have uh, Poker Night at the Inventory. You know, that's they, very true. Team Fortress stuff appears in all sorts of games. <laughs> They're pretty good Hat natured sim- about it. Hat Simulator too. Yep. And of, and on the other hand, everybody else's things appear in Team Fortress too. <laughs> yep. That's very true. Okay. Yeah, they like cross-platform stuff or cross-company stuff and. Mm-hmm. Being silly and goofy. We do like our Valve, don't we? Oh, yes. They enable us to play games cheaply. Yeah. So did you play anything uh, more recent this week? I did, actually. Um, And I'm not sure exactly how I feel about it, to be completely honest. I played a game called The Vanishing of Ethan Cole. Or, sorry, of Ethan Carter, not Ethan Cole. Of Ethan Carter. And I... Usually you need to know the victim's name. (laughs) Yeah. Well... The game itself was, well, it's a little indie game that was made by a company that I don't think I'd ever heard of before. And I hadn't heard of the game until it showed up on Steam as a release. Um, let's see. The visuals of the game were probably the best part. And they were absolutely... for an indie game. I know. But, I mean, if you go and look at some of my screenshots, um, that's, again, on DS Bigfoot on Steam, so you should be able to find me that way, and then just look up the screenshots from the screenshots from the vanishing of Ethan Carter. Holy cow, are some of those environments pretty. Oh, yes. But everything else about the game, I mean, the voice acting was fine, but other than that, the whole game kind of fell short, hmm. it feels like. So the main premise of the game is that you are a detective who is also psychic, and so you're able to communicate with both the dead as well as objects. And Sounds like a very, very useful skill to have as a, as a detective. Yes. Um, with the objects, you can see where other paired objects are in the world, and they don't necessarily show you. They don't have a mini-map or anything like that. It's They show you the surrounding environment, and you have to use your knowledge of the area to go and find it. And then what you have to do in order to speak with one of the dead is you have to restore the scene to how it was right before they died. Hmm. And then you'll see a little bit more of the story. And along the way, you'll see, um, you'll find weird little things, I guess is the best way to put them, um, side puzzles, I guess. And you actually have to complete these before you can finish the game. Um, So they're not really side puzzles, but other puzzles besides just reconstructing the scene um, where you ha- where they tell you a little snippet about something that happened with Ethan and his family. The whole story revolves around Ethan and his family okay. and this detective. And, I mean, some of the puzzles are really easy where it's just walk around and find these things. You don't necessarily know exactly where they are, but if you stumble upon them, like I did, there was the very first one that you encounter is a bunch of traps in the forest. 
and me and my genius self was running, 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 and then I run headfirst into a board of spikes that just flipped up and smacked me in the face. <laughs> so that was exciting. Um, and there, there were some interesting things that could be deduced from all of those things, and I think that there, there really is a bit of a deeper meaning to the game in terms of oh, this, what it, this is what his family is like, and each of these things represents something about a family member that he doesn't really like, but or some things that he does like, because these are always associated with some stories that he's written. Ethan Carter is a bit of an author in that he likes to read, or not read, write stories about things, and he gives them to the members of his family. Um, but all in all... There weren't hardly any usages of where I got to use my psychic power. There weren't very many things to be found. Um, there were only four deaths that I had to go and recreate throughout the entire game. Oh no, only four people died. <laughs> I mean, you, if you were really that detective, you would be very glad that you only had to use that ability four times. I know, I know. But for the sake of a story game and something right, that's supposed to be right. suspenseful, in gripping, it doesn't really do much. Um, and oftentimes, you only had to like fix one, maybe two small things before the scene was complete. Okay. And you actually stumble across the thing where you have to move the most things, and probably the most difficult puzzle is at the very beginning. Now that's ironic. That's bad pacing, actually. It's very bad pacing. Um, and even then, they show you how to do the majority of the first puzzle in the, the demo <laughs> video for the game, so... Interesting. There wasn't really much to that. Um, the only time that I was even scared is there was this one part of the game where there was a miner, a dead miner's ghost that was wandering around, um, and it was you couldn't let him catch you, but you could easily outrun him, and you could easily see where he was coming because, yes, he would occasionally just pop up out of nowhere, but there was also um, he would also be holding a lantern so you could see his light from far off. Um, Seems like we've had quite a few, you know, games come out that are indie games with a really cool concept, but then they don't quite do enough with that concept to justify it being like a full, full game. I'm thinking about, um, you know, uh, Among the Sleep and a story about my uncle. Yeah. 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 And I mean, those could definitely use a little extra, um, but I think for the materials that they had, the resources that they had, all three of those games, including this one, mm-hmm. um, as one of those three, are pretty fantastic given the resources of the developers at the time. Oh, yeah. And I just really wish that they had a little bit more, as you said, resources to develop it into the game that it really deserves because the concept behind the game is fantastic. But the story fell flat, and the ending was one of the most anticlimactic things that I think I've seen, and the, one of the most pointless things I've seen hmm. in terms of games in a while. Um, there were a couple small scares along the way, which is what I thought was going to happen. Um, I thought there were going to be more than just one or two small scares, but there wasn't hardly anything in terms of that. The story was, and I mean, this is probably the point of the story, was to be um, kind of disconjunct in that you were told the story by looking at the murder scenes and observing the murder scenes and figuring out what was happening, but there wasn't really ever an end to the story either. Hmm. There was never a full end to the story, nor was there really that much of a beginning, like you couldn't figure out what exactly, where everything started. 
you're just thrown into this world, and it's like, here are all these cool things, but there's, and you have to figure out the story from them, but there's not really, mm. yeah. So, and I mean, the music was fine. Nothing to complain about the music. Um, controls were fairly fine. They worked for the most part. There was one time where I was, because I kept on running everywhere just because there wasn't really anything else to do. There was no reason to walk. Um, but I go to where the end of the game is going to happen. It's like, hey, you haven't finished everything yet. Go back. So I'm like, okay. And so I go back. And as I'm running, I notice that my run speed has greatly decreased. Like I'm running at was a walking at what was a walking pace or pace. And then when I was walking, it became what was my crouching pace. What on earth? And there were several times around the game where I would just run into an invisible wall or like an invisible pit and get stuck. Ouch. Okay, um, this is sounding worse and worse the more you describe it. So they have some bugs to figure out, and I really want them to develop the concept more, but I because I don't think that it is in itself a complete game yet. Okay. I think it has... What? Do you, do you, are they planning on developing it more, or...? I don't think so, but I, I really hope that they go back and that they do, because as it stands, it's not anything really worth getting. Maybe... Okay. A two to five dollar pickup. Okay. Because I mean, I got what two hours worth of gameplay, two to three hours worth of gameplay out of it. I actually didn't look. Yeah, just under three hours. So. Oh well. Oh well. I mean, that's sort of what happens. Sometimes they are fantastic. Sometimes they fall off the cart. And I mean. At least, uh, at least there are lovely screenshots for us to look at that you know you yes. provided us with. <laughs> yes. Yeah. By far. Best thing in the game was the visuals. Yeah, but it's I really wish they had done more. What? Basically, it's Crisis, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in some ways, like my computer would have had or had trouble handling at its full. Which one, Ethan Carter or Crisis? Ethan Carter. Okay, interesting. Oh. Like if I were to turn up everything maximum for Ethan Carter, my desktop would have had trouble. <laughs> and you're rocking that 770. I know. Man, that's impressive. So it's impressive in terms of specs that you can use, and this is this was this wasn't even with max graphic settings, those screenshots. This is just with what my desktop could handle and was easy to run around with. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, yeah, I I probably won't ever get around to that game then. <laughs> <laughs> You've kind of taken it off of my list of uh, games that I you know I'm looking forward to playing. Yeah, because it it looked like it was going to be really cool. Yeah. And I really wanted it to be really cool, but it just it fell short. Mm. Do you so, have any questions? Is there anything about the game that you want to know, or? Uh, not really. I mean, I uh, between between what you told me and what you know I read on the PC Gamer review. I mean, I just I can't think of anything. Yeah, I'm curious as to what they said now. They they were considerably more favorable than what you were saying just now, but because uh, you know he. He did, he I think he, I I think he liked the ending actually. Hmm. So I guess you know difference in in uh, taste there. But yeah, if the I mean the the story uh, given that the visuals were like the high point, and then the fact that the you know the the game wasn't very long and the puzzles weren't very complex. Uh, the story was the only other thing that I was looking forward to in the game. And since you didn't like it, I probably won't check it out actually. Um. Now, a game that I really do want to check out, but I I don't think that this computer could do it justice, is Middle-Earth Shadow of Mordor. That is coming out this Tuesday, uh, the 30th, 
and holy cow, oh, it it looks it looks like it's gonna be great. Like this is probably the first Lord of the Rings game that I would say that that you know that sounds like it's doing Lord of the Rings justice in terms of you know the lore and doing doing new things with the lore that actually makes sense in the context of the world. You know, like for example, uh, Lord of the Rings: The Third Age. That was a great role-playing game, great cl- uh, uh, party-based role-playing game, but it didn't make any any sense. It, you know, they were basically just saying, okay, you're the Fellowship version 2, following the real Fellowship, and just kind of going to all of the places that they went to and it, it, at, at basically the same time, and it didn't make any sense. Um, so that, that game is coming out. I don't know who are going to have review it. I want somebody to review it. I'll keep an eye and see which of our friends are playing it. But next week, I won't even be here. So what have you got lined up for next week, Ian? Next week, the person who will be our guest is, of all people, my band director. (laughs) (laughs) Who is as big of a gamer as we are and has been geeking out with video games since probably before we were born. Well, actually, he's not that old. Um, but, but long before we were gaming. Long before we were gaming. He was gaming. And so next weekend, we, I will be joined by Dr. James Patrick Miller, possibly including his little daughter, um, uh, Linnea, on occasion, if she happens to drop by. <laughs> She's like three. You should three definitely tap him for some of those classics. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. So... And I'll I'll talk with him and see what things that he'd be interested to talk about and see if we can't make a main topic about things that he would absolutely love to talk about because that's honestly probably the best way to go about doing things when we have guests is what do they want to talk about? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so next week you'll be enjoying the the company of an experienced gamer. And uh, yeah, what was I going to say? Oh, yes, right. I I just had a brain fart too. Um, So as for as for things that I'm planning on reviewing in the near future, I've been I've actually finally gotten around to playing Assassin's Creed Pirates on mm. Android. So yeah. you'll probably hear a review of that in, in two weeks when I'm back. Uh, by the way, I'm not going to be here because I'm going to be in St. Petersburg. For those of you who didn't know, look for awesome pictures and stories from that on my blog, most likely. That'll be a lot of fun because I'm going to be there for five days. Holy cow. Yeah. You jelly. Honestly, yes. <laughs> it's going to be an adventure. More more so than, I think, anything that I've done so far. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> going to go mm-hmm. see all the museums and the, the cathedrals and take a tour of the, the canals at night. That's going to be cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I have a song for you once once we get to the fringe that you have to be listening to the entire time that you're there. The entire time. Nonstop. Headphones in. Yep. All right, so this has been 8-Bit, everybody. Don't forget, go to the Steam group and uh, follow that curation. If you if you want to help us out, like, you know, there's some games that, that you notice that we haven't recommended that you think are really good games, hit us up, send us a message, you know. Try Get on the, the show to review it for us because we value your opinions and obviously there's only two of us here so we can't play every game that comes out you know those 1,300 or so that have come out on Steam in the last nine months there's no way we can play all those so that's what friends are for right exactly and telling us which ones we should and shouldn't waste our time with. <laughs>
Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. That's good friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thanks for listening. I'm Ian Buck. And I'm Ian Decker. Signing. Can you see him out there? You can sort of see kind him. Kind of. I can see his hand wave. see his legs and his arm. There's an elbow. There's his face. I can see his face. Yay. There he is. <laughs> oh, tell tell Matt that uh, my dad sent a package to me from SPS. Um, apparently, uh, Ian Buck says that his dad used the post office to mail Ian a package. He says thanks. <laughs> I remember, man. The okay, last time so I now, now you have to look into the w- look in the well again. Yeah, but no. <laughs> Can you see him? There you go. Take a screenshot. Uh, oh, print screen. Done. <laughs> This only happens on my podcast. <laughs> so these are all just open. Oh, this one. Oh, Lord. Yes, we have a, we have a moving device. <laughs> all right. The, it's my the duck call so thing this, is here. This, this I think it's time device. to end the room. Why? Why did you keep oh. all the boxes? Why wouldn't you? <laughs> Everybody knows they need to keep the boxes so you can make a shrine. Exactly.